0: Well, next Sunday is actually the beginning of Advent, and if you happen to be new to church, and that word is a brand new uh, thought for you, it actually just means coming, where we, um, again, remind ourselves of the first coming of the Lord Jesus, and uh, we have an eye on his second coming. And so uh, the Advent season is four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a wonderful time of preparing our hearts, and uh, again, acknowledging that Jesus, the Christ child, is Lord. And uh, we're making more room for people in our in-person gatherings. And so especially at the Advent season, more and more people want to gather for worship. So uh, we are adding an additional worship gathering in person. So we are adding one at 9 a.m. and again, remaining uh, our our 10.30 a.m. gathering will also remain as a viable option for people. So 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. beginning next Sunday, you're invited to come gather with us in person and we'll still have our 10.30 a.m. YouTube uh, channel Um, uh, gathering online as well. So we hope you'll come and join us at 611 King Street West if you're local and it's always good to see you. Uh, As part of our Christmas at King outreach initiatives we have a serve opportunity for you. Uh, We kind of put the emphasis around King Street throughout the year but especially during the Advent season on serving others and so on Wednesday November the 24th at 7pm just for one hour Uh, we have an opportunity for you to come and serve with uh, dozens of others in our lobby and uh, to kind of help us uh, get organized for all the outreaches through king street community church in our community and around the world and um, as well as get ready for our Christmas Eve gathering. So hope you can come and join us on Wednesday, November the 24th at 7 p.m. And then next Sunday, which is November the 28th at 6 p.m., we have a one-hour lift night or lift event that we've planned to celebrate Advent together. It's one hour of praise and worship and prayer and uh, we'd love to have you come. We've got some creative aspects right here in our auditorium. It won't be posted online through our YouTube channel, just in person. So we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Childcare is also available for kids birth to age 10. So we hope you'll come and join us. So we are um, not wrapping up our series indefinitely today, but just kind of hitting the pause button as um, this is the, uh, the break we're going to take from the Philippians series, Do Life Differently, uh, so that we can focus on the Advent season and we're going to talk about staying strong during the Christmas season over the next four weeks. And uh, But we will resume our Do Life Differently from the Book of Philippians series uh, in January of 2022. So uh, I'm going to wrap up this teaching series this morning and we're going to talk about what it means to be invested. And as we've been talking about over the last number of weeks, Christians, those who sign up to follow Jesus closely and personally... Um, are led to do life differently by the Spirit and by the Word of God and uh, belonging to the people of God. We approach life very differently. And it doesn't take long after we sign up to follow Jesus to learn that the culture and the values that the culture promotes often are on a collision course with the values that Jesus calls us to embody in our own lives. And uh, if it's not the culture, it's our lower nature that uh, kind of insists that we say yes to our, our sinful passions and desires and drives. And the spirit of Jesus within us, uh, once we put our saving faith in Christ, begins to instruct us and call us along a very different way that Jesus called the narrow way. Always remember this. Christians are not narrow-minded, but they do follow Jesus along a narrow way. And so they leave some things behind as they follow Jesus. And, um, and so this invitation to do life differently is an invitation to uh, live a holy life. And um, so I hope you've been enjoying the series and our, our pastors, uh, Pastor Kristen did a wonderful job last week and uh, you can find all of these teachings on our YouTube channel. So the book of Philippians is a, a four chapter book in the New Testament written by a man named Paul. It takes the form of a handful of mini blogs or essays that Paul writes to his friends in Philippi, which is modern day 21st century Greece. And, uh, and he's writing from a first century Roman prison to those in the Philippian church to encourage them and instruct them and to help them along their spiritual pilgrimage in Christ. And uh, the passage to ponder that we've been taking with us over the last number of weeks is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It is that passage in Philippians that uh, serves as a center of gravity or the hinges by which the rest of the book opens and closes. And uh, so these are the words of the Apostle Paul, again, written from a Roman prison. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God or status with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so um, we are reminded today of the way of Jesus. And uh, our culture should expect that those of us who profess to follow Jesus, uh, we should resemble him in some ways, as we've talked about earlier in this series. And so uh, we're invited during this teaching theme today to be invested, to be an all-in Jesus-following kind of person, to be totally committed and surrendered to the uh, beautiful life-giving invitation to do life like Christ. And so um, if we're not fully invested, we, we will be, um, I guess in the, in the uh, same vein of understanding investment language, we will be hedging our bets. And uh, there's a place to hedge your bets in the financial world of investing. However, in the spiritual life with Jesus, hedging our bets is actually a, a way of us being half-hearted in our devotion to Jesus. Uh, we wanna be all in kinds of people. And when Paul writes this next part of the book of Philippians that we'll look at in just a moment. He's inviting and he's using an example of two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, now that's a mouthful. Epaphroditus and Timothy, these are two men that Paul affirms as being like standout Christian men. And he talks about how they relate to him and how they serve the Philippian church and it's a wonderful, beautiful indicator of the fact that they were all in people. So this teaching today is going to be a gentle, kind invitation and reminder for us to be fully invested uh, in our relationship with God. I couldn't imagine any couple who are planning on spending the rest of their lives together, getting married, standing before a minister at an altar, in a church, or in an outside wedding ceremony. And they go through the vow exchange and they say something like this, to love and to cherish, in sickness and in health, in joy or in sorrow, in prosperity or in adversity, until I meet someone better. No, we we don't hear those kinds of affirmations or vow exchanges. It's forsaking all others. You will keep yourself to him or to her only until God shall separate you at death. That's the vow. That's the promise. That's what every married couple signs up for. So they would be the kinds of people who say, I am all in. I am not going to hedge my bets. I am going to be the kind of person who's going to be fully invested in this relationship. And there is nothing more secure than that when it comes to a human relationship where someone says for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, in prosperity or in adversity, and that forsaking all others until we're separated at death. You can count on me to love you and to love you well. So as we look at this text in just a moment, we're going to look at three different areas that Paul sort of reminds the Philippian church about. Um, To be invested like family, to be invested uh, and acquire a ministry mindset, and to be invested with their whole heart. And uh, so Paul writes again about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's let the text speak for itself here. Chapter two, beginning at verse 19 through to verse 30. Here's Paul. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Again, remember a standout person in Paul's mind. I hope to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Paul knew that Timothy cared deeply and Paul himself cared deeply as well. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. We're different, we live differently. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. He has demonstrated godly character. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Paul wasn't really sure how it was all gonna turn out for him. And I am confident of the Lord that I myself will come soon. That was his hope and that was his desire. And he says here that this was his confidence. But I think it is necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Epaphroditus was concerned that they were distressed even though he was the one who was sick. Indeed he was ill Paul says and almost died but God had mercy on him and not on him only but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. These are human beings who follow Jesus closely in the first century and they write scripture, but they're people who struggled even with anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. In other words, he should be a model and an example of others who would live their life the way Jesus calls them to. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me a beautiful passage, the word of the Lord for us this morning. So I have three thoughts for us this morning. And then at the back end, I'm going to give us um, a little inventory, an informal inventory to see how well we're doing at being all in kind of Jesus following people. Now, if you happen to not be a Jesus follower and you're watching this talk online, uh, this is what the Christian life is about, is being fully devoted to Jesus. Uh, Not about squeezing Jesus into our life, And not about adding him on to an already full, busy life or having him kind of bless our lives. But it's about actually exchanging our life for his. And being willing to, uh, in a sense, lay down our ambition and our agenda for life and saying yes to his ambition and agenda for our life. So here's the first thought. If we're going to be invested, we need to be invested like family. Uh, Paul functioned like a father to Timothy. Uh, Paul was in prison, but he still cared deeply for the Philippian believers and all that was happening to them in Philippi. And he also cared deeply about this young leader that he placed over this local church. Paul had become a spiritual father to him in the faith. And when family is working well, fathers never stop caring. Regardless of their geographical location, or where their kids may have moved to, or the circumstances of their own life like Paul, they always care about their kids. And this is the way it is to be in the family of God too. We ought to care about the welfare of the church. Paul is sitting in a Philippian jail and he is concerned about the welfare of the Philippian Christian community. And so when the church is working well and when we are at our best, we function like a family. Spiritual fathers and mothers taking good care of spiritual sons and daughters. And that's what I love about belonging to an intergenerational church community is that the older and the ones that have been along the way a little longer, They're looking out for the ones who are new in the faith or the ones who are a little younger in life. And uh, they are looking to express care and concern and to nurture them and to help bring them up in the gospel. That's the way it's supposed to be. And so not just was uh, Paul functioning like a father to Timothy. Timothy related um, like a son with Paul. Uh, I like what the passage says here. As a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. What a wonderful thing for Paul to say about his relationship with Timothy. This kind of relationship is mutual. Father moving towards son, son moving towards father. And again, the gender exclusive language, it's not intended to be that way. It's about spiritual parents giving good care and taking good care of spiritual children. This kind of relationship, it's absolutely mutual. It's honor and respect built into this kind of relationship that's moving in both directions. This is how we transmit the gospel to the next generation. The temptation of the younger is to um, dismiss the older because we now have Google and we have all the information we need. And so we don't need spiritual parents or spiritual guides along the way. We've got Google. We can just, if we need to find it, we can search it. You know what we need more uh, than anything these days? is not more information. We need more wisdom. We need more understanding. We need more helpful guides and examples who have lived the life or have gone down the narrow way, and can invite us to follow them, that's what we need is good, healthy role models and people who can transmit wisdom because we have all the knowledge we need. It's just a click away, but we need to have relational connection with people who embody the kind of wisdom that can literally make our lives better. So Timothy related like a son with Paul and Epaphroditus acted like a brother to Paul. The text says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. I like the way he put all of that together. We need brothers and sisters who are going to join arms with us and participate in the work of God together as equals. Uh, we need people who are going to fight the good fight of faith together. And that's why I like the language of soldier. Um, we need to be invested like family. We need to treat each other differently like like fathers do with sons and sons and do with fathers or spiritual parents and we also need this brotherly or sisterly relationship with one another it's because we belong to each other not because we're stuck with each other you know you and I don't get a chance to pick our biological family God puts us in households and families and there are positives and 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 uh, negatives to that strengths and weaknesses we are not stuck together as a spiritual family necessarily but we belong together because we share the same spirit and we're called by the same Lord and have had the same baptism in the same faith. And so um, we are, if we're going to be the kinds of people who are fully invested, we need to understand that we are family. Uh, Number two, we need to be invested in a ministry mindset. Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus were standouts in Paul's mind and they were affirmed for their love, devotion and service. And the early Christians understood that they were not just part of some organization that met at a certain place in the city, but that they were a relational family, that they were connected together. They were a community. And uh, they genuinely were concerned and cared for others. I-, I love what it says about Timothy. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. We, we function differently. We're not just looking to our own self-interest. Even though we do take good care of ourselves, we are concerned about one another. That's how the Christian community is intended to act and function. Like family who, concern, who are concerned and care about one another. And Epaphroditus, Paul writes this about him. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you have heard that he was ill. Verses 21 and verses 26. I love that about this man. Um, he probably had lots of reasons to kind of nurse his own wounds. Um, Though he's taking care of himself, he's on the lookout for for others. And he was actually distressed because he knew that they were concerned for him. And he didn't want them to suffer any emotional pain or hardship. And so this is the kind of men Timothy and Paul were. They were genuinely concerned and cared for others. They were dependable and reliable. You know, this isn't one of those headline-grabbing characteristics. I want to be known for being reliable and dependable. Sometimes we want to be known for being funny or um, gregarious or somebody who is charismatic in our personality. But Paul says these men were known for their reliability and dependability. Uh, Like what he writes in verse 22 and 25, he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. He has demonstrated consistently because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And then he says about Epaphroditus, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. He was a trustworthy man. They they, um, entrusted a care package with Epaphroditus, knowing that he wouldn't get distracted along the way and take side roads and go off to Las Vegas and spend all that he had been entrusted with to give to the the Apostle Paul. He was a trustworthy messenger. And um, being described as reliable and dependable is not flashy, as we've already mentioned but it's beautiful and it's healthy. In fact, being unreliable is a reflection of poor character. That hurts. If we are unreliable, it says something about our character. Being reliable is a demonstration of the respect that we hold for others. When we say we're gonna show up on time to meet for coffee, we show up on time and meet for coffee. When we say we'll follow up, we're gonna follow up. It's what we do. We are known as being dependable and reliable. And if by chance we get distracted or we're not able to do it, we own it. And, and we apologize and we make things right. And so these two men were known as being reliable and dependable. When we are invested people in the kingdom of God, we will also be the kinds of people who have care and concern for others and are dependable and reliable. And we will be willing to serve and sacrifice. Um, Epaphroditus, he was put it all on the line. In fact, he put his whole life on the line. It says, so then welcome him in the Lord. This is Epaphroditus with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And so in a culture that prizes creature comforts and the what's in it for me mentality, Epaphroditus is a picture of somebody who is um, all in and willing to serve and sacrifice his own well-being for the service of others. And so it's a, a beautiful picture of what it means to be fully invested. All right, here's my last thought for us before I give you this informal inventory. Uh, Number three, we need to be invested with our whole heart. It was Jesus himself who said that we ought to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The word all is repeated in that first part of the passage. We're to love God with all of our hearts in all of our soul and with all of our mind, not just parts of it. We don't cut up the human soul and the human personality into the religious and the secular. It's my whole life. The totality of my life and your life is intended to be given with love and devotion to Jesus. That's who we ought to be. And again, as I repeat so often, because it's so important, Paul in Colossians 3, when Christ who is your life appears. Our life is not about achievements and accomplishments. It's not about acquiring, it's about Jesus. And those of us in the Christian church in the 21st century have a moral obligation to be true to the historic gospel and to live that out in front of the people that we know and love and so that they can see the true picture of what it means to be a Jesus-following, adoring person. Paul would write again to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 11. He says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We need to keep it, keep watch over it, guard and protect it because our devotion can wane. It can happen in marriages and families. It can happen in workplaces. It can happen in churches and it can happen with our devotion to Jesus as well. We'll finish with this. In Revelation chapter three, the last book of the Bible, Paul, uh, sorry, John writes to seven different churches. It's a wonderful, wonderful two or three chapter section where we can learn as the 21st century church what it means to put Jesus at the center and love him and honor him supremely. But one church in particular, Laodicea, had allowed their um, love to grow cold. And he says, because you are either hot nor cold, because you're lukewarm, you're tepid. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He was actually saying, because you are not, and we have to remember in Laodicea, there were these hot springs and cold springs. These hot springs were meant for healing when there was a therapeutic need required, uh, people would go to hot springs. When they looked to be refreshed, they would go to cold springs. And Paul's saying, because you're not healing and therapeutically helpful, there are people with wounds all over the place and you're not helping them. And because you're not refreshing them because of the way you're approaching your faith in Jesus, he says, I'm about to, John writes, and these are the words of Jesus, about to spit you out of my mouth, a tepid taste. I was looking for hot, I was looking for cold, and I got neither. So, Seven signs. These are honest questions and observations that we could be potentially growing tepid in our Christian faith. And this is adapted by a woman by the name of Alondra Tanner. I've taken her ideas and I've made them my own, but I wanted to give a shout out to her. Let me ask you these questions or these statements. And instead of it being yes or no answers, think about from zero to 10. 10 being absolutely yes. Uh, this is, um, is something that is, is very true of me. Actually, 10 is very positive Zero being very negative, okay? So 10 is very concerning. Zero being, um, no, you know what, I'm, I'm doing okay here. So here's the first one. Your desire to spend time with God through prayer, scripture, and read, scripture reading, and worship are diminishing. So these spiritual practices of life with God through prayer, worship, and scripture reading. Is it, let me reframe these. 10 is really good and healthy, zero is, is poor. 10 is, is really healthy and strong, zero is weak, okay? How are you doing these days with having an appetite to pray, worship, to um, read God's word. Is it strong and growing or is it weak and and diminishing? Second one, conviction of the spirit is ignored and the conscience has been quieted and cutting corners seems much more justifiable and personal sin is tolerated. Are you doing well at not tolerating those things? Are you doing well at saying yes and listening to the conviction of the spirit or are you kind of quieting the conscience and cutting corners along the way? Number three, your first go-to when needing counsel is thought leaders, self-help resources, and secular ideologies, rather than the counsel of God and his people. Are you out here seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, saying, no, no, I, I go to God's people, I go to God's word, I go to God in prayer? That's, that's sort of the movement of my life, and it's kind of white hot, it's strong and healthy? Or are you down here much more culturally oriented, trying to solve problems your way, consulting thought leaders, self-help resources, secular ideologies, whatever that might be? Uh, Number four, you seek the middle ground of neutrality that leads to compromised convictions to avoid standing out. You have strong convictions about peripheral things, but less passionate about the core tenets of the gospel. Uh, Are are you out here saying, no, no, if I'm going to be set aside by culture or by friends or co-workers, I'm going to be the kind of person who adopts the kind of kingdom convictions and values that God would have me own? Or are you out here saying compromise seems to be part of my story, I'd rather fit in and being neutral these days is, is actually somewhere that I find myself moving toward. Uh, number five, the most important thing to you is personal comfort and your preferences. Uh, no, I'm, I'm prepared to, to suffer and sacrifice and serve others. Or is it, no, no, I'm, this is really important to me. I find myself often thinking about myself and trying to arrange my life and say no to opportunities to serve in the kingdom of God because it's much more about you or about me. Uh, number six, your confidence rests in your possessions, connections, and achievements. Uh, when you think about your life successes out here in these categories, uh, where, you know, you're 7, 8, 9, 10 in the area of measuring those things that the culture would measure, or are you out here saying, no, no, I understand that Mother Teresa lived a certain way and it's not about me keeping a certain scorecard and metrics along life's way. Um, and so I'm adopting much more of a kingdom mentality when it comes to those things that are most important. And then finally, you expect God to conform to your will, as opposed to living a surrendered life that says, um, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. It's much more God, I want it my way. And if you don't give it to me my way, I'm gonna compromise and back away from this thing because Jesus is a means to an end for you rather than the end in himself. So those are really, really important questions. And those are not intended to make you feel terrible about yourself. They're intended to help serve as a template for you, to take inventory. It's really good for us to take inventory, not because God's giving us thumbs down or thumbs up. His love for you never changes, regardless of how well we're doing at following him with our loyal love. But when we live well, when we live this way, when we honor Jesus and put him first, there is a trickle-down impact in our lives that just lifts us up, and God wants what's best for us. So I wanna pray for you and I'm gonna send it back to the host pastors. Father, thank you today for this um, passage of scripture in Philippians chapter two. Thank you for Timothy and Epaphroditus, two standouts in the kingdom. Pray that you would help us too, God, stand out, not for our own glory, but so that we might be true, accurate reflections of the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Help us to live in such a way that sets Jesus before us as Lord, as King, and help us, Lord, to truly come under his leadership in our lives. And wherever there's an adjustment required today, God, thank you for your grace and your gentle work of the Spirit that leads us forward, not condemning us, but inviting us in to do the next right thing. So bless each one who's with us today on this YouTube channel. May they know your peace and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.